All right, let's get started. This is uh, Matthew Part 3, Lesson 1. Believe it or not, we're actually finally back to Matthew. Relief. And uh, today is the uh, 29th of March. Let's open in prayer. Uh, Father, we do thank you for the time that we can spend together. I thank you for each one who has uh, dedicated themselves to studying your word. Uh, Father, I pray that you might bless us uh, as we open your word with a revelation of of our Master, Yeshua Father, with a revelation of how it is that you have uh, spoken to us through him, we pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. And continuing that, on the righteous, on the devout, on the elders of your people, the family of Israel, on the remnant of their scholars, on the righteous converts or the righteous sojourners, and on ourselves, may your compassion be aroused, Lord our God. And give goodly reward to all who sincerely believe in your name. Put our lot with them forever, and we will not feel ashamed, for we trust in you. Blessed are you, Lord, mainstay and assurance of the righteous. We are looking at uh, um, Matthew chapter 20. Uh, which is lesson one for part three. I said eight chapters. I actually have nine. If we count twenty. We have nine, and we're going to go through um, to finish up. Uh, well, we had nine lessons anyway to finish up. This is actually from First Peter, and it was part of your homework as well. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people. Anybody know what that is in in Hebrew? His own special people. We hear his treasured possession, his treasured people, Am Segula. Uh, this is the uh, this is a very uh, um, this is actually a very Hebraic list that Peter's giving us. These are the description of who Israel. Yeah, it is. Uh, in a weird sort of way, people reading this that weren't Jewish were kind of don't you think we're wondering? Hey, wait a minute, how does it apply to me? Actually, they weren't thinking that because they've been taught very well. Uh, but it is a description of Israel. It's how God, is, how God describes Israel. Chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. That's from 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. And we use that towards the end of our homework as a, uh, as a way to bounce off some of the things that we had studied. We're going to look at the parable of the vineyard workers today. Um, You've probably, if you know, if you've heard sermons, you know, over if you've, especially if you've been a believer for many years or in the church for many years, you've you've probably heard sermons about similar things to this parable, uh, the parable of the vineyard workers. Parables are wonder, parables are wonderful because they're parabolic. <laughs> Unfortunately, parables are very bad because they've been used in a diabolical way. <laughs> parables are sermon illustrations. And as we studied last uh, in, in our last study, Matthew Part 2, we 
hopefully came away with a clear understanding that parables are simple. And if you make them complex, you have, in fact, perverted it. And the reason why is because, remember, if you take, as, as Sam likes to say, you take something out of context, you have a pretext. And, in fact, if you try and take the parable and apply to it something that the people of the day would not have understood, you have created a theology that is not what Scripture requires. And uh, the parable of the vineyard workers is not a parable about about how the God had taken uh, being chosen away from the uh, Jewish people and given it rather to a people who more who were more deserving, who didn't work for their salvation. That is Gentiles. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And in fact, uh, the parable the vineyard the parable of the vineyard worker is explained in the very passage that he that he tells us the vineyard parable. He tells us the simple answer. Unfortunately, people like to build whole theologies around, around these things because it's very easy. If you take a part of something, you can create, you can make it say whatever you want. And this is the, this is the nature, this is the nature of, of man. We, we want to do this. We find something that we agree with or what we think is to be true and then we find proof for it. And what better place to find proof than the Word of God? And in fact, uh, we are very successful as human beings in, in, in fact, undoing the Word of God by our tradition. That's very sad. So, this parable, like all parables, must be read in context. The context begins not in chapter 20, but in verse chapter 19. Remember, chapters and verses are not inspired. They are absolutely not inspired. I can guarantee you they're not inspired. Uh, they came long after the words were written down by holy men of God who were moved. Go to chapter 19 of Matthew, verse 27. Then Peter answered. Actually, let me go to the question, because verse 26, Yeshua asked the question. But Yeshua looked at them and said, With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. This is talking about the, the, uh, the rich man entering the kingdom of heaven. It's impossible for anybody to enter the kingdom of heaven, isn't it? With man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Uh, then Peter answered, verse 27, Peter answered and said to him, See, we have... We have, uh, see, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? He's actually saying, look, look at us. We left everything. Uh, what are we going to get? Um, is that a bad thing? I mean, honestly, it's not a bad, th- it's not a bad question. It's actually a very good question. Uh, it's certainly an honest question because everybody's thinking it. <laughs> so Yeshua said, Assuredly, I say to you, that in, this, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife or children or lands for my sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And then he tells a parable. If you will go to verse 16 of chapter 20. Chapter 20, verse 16. Listen. So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called, but few chosen. In other words, 
from chapter 20 verse 1 through chapter 20 verse 15 is, is bookended by two statements the first shall be last and the last shall be first everything is to be understood within that context now what is the context we left everything Lord what do we get and he says you're going to get a position of authority in the kingdom did they deserve it well, I mean, it's debatable, especially as we move through these next few chapters. And no, they didn't deserve it. And yet, what do they get? Because they were, because they were chosen. They get, they get the position of authority. Um, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Uh, they're going to sit on 12 thrones as a kingdom. Um, listen to this also. People who've left things are going to get a hundredfold. Many first will be last and the last first let's look at this uh, vineyard uh, vineyard parable uh, first of all I got this little note here in your notes here throughout these verses the conjunction day is found D-E is found uh, this is an it, it can either be an adver, uh, an adversative or a continuative uh, word but it's usually rendered but in English you see this all the time and uh, honestly it makes me angry Sometimes when I read the way the translators put the word but in, as if two statements are contrasting, when it could be very valid that two statements are actually conjunctive, that they are parallels, they make them contractive. Uh, an exa- uh, contrastive. An example would be uh, the law came through Moses, but grace and faith comes through Yeshua. But actually. The Greek word day is found there and it could be just as easily and with the context of scripture scripture as a beginning to end it should be and and in other words they're they're parallel or building statements the law came faith and grace through Yeshua came isn't that certainly better but does that make the law bad well only if you have this idea that somehow your Bible begins at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. That's right. And I have very strong feelings. That's right. Uh, well, I do too. And that's why sometimes, and this is what I want you to do, I want you to be very careful when you read in an English Bible and you see the word but or the word and. I want you always to ask the question, if it's, if it's in the apostolic scriptures from Matthew through Revelation that has a Greek has a Greek original, right? If, that's, if it's in the Greek original, the word and and the word but are one word. So you need to always, anytime you see and or but, you need to ask yourself the question. If, that's, if that word is actually in the Greek, in other words, it's not italicized, if you have a King James or a New American Standard, it means this is added. If it's an NIV, I can't help you. Uh, but if you see that word and or that word but, you ask yourself the question, what works best? In English, those are at opposites, aren't they? And is inclusive, but is exclusive. And yet in the Greek, it's the same word. So be very careful when you read these in, in English not to uh, assume that you're reading what's actually intended. You're instead reading what a translator thinks. And where are, excuse me, those of you who work for uh, translating organizations, where are translators trained? In 
That's right. In cemeteries where, where <laughs> in cemeteries where, where actually not all translators, but the, the tr- translators of English Bibles, I guarantee you, they are trained in sem- sem- seminaries where, where, where in fact, where, in, where in fact, where in fact, uh, they learn they learn uh, Greek Plato far far sooner than they even they, most of them don't even know who Rashi is. Um, so uh, obviously they're coming from a completely different perspective, a pagan perspective in their in their formal training, even though they may not be pagan themselves. So be very careful. And this is a perfect example. And this chapter is a perfect example of that. Uh, in fact, I would offer to you that there are whole there is a division in Protestant Christianity that is based on some of these verses. I mean a huge split based on some of these verses, which was never intended to say what people say it was saying. On either side of the fence, both are wrong. Look at, let's look at it. This parable, the vineyard work. Anytime you read about parables of vineyards, you need to know God's already given us the glossary. He's told us what all the pieces mean. What's a parable? Remember, a parable is just a, it's a story to explain something complex in simple terms that everybody knows. It's an illustration. It's a sermon illustration. It's designed to make a point so that you'll do something. It's never designed so that you create a philosophy or a theology that you can think about but not act upon. It's always designed about acting upon. And you know, and honestly, I you know, sometimes I read some versions of the English Bible and I think, well, at least they chose what seems to be more right as far as context. I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm just saying just be very careful when you read them to make sure that it makes sense. And that they're not trying to pit one part of the Bible against the other. Anytime you do that, you know you're wrong. <laughs> I mean, just know you're wrong. Uh, anyway, let's look at this parable of the vineyard workers. Go to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1. See, if you have this background in the Hebrew Scriptures, all of these things that Yeshua says begins to make much more sense. And that's why it's very important that if you're going to build a house, you have a good foundation. And if you ignore the Hebrew Scriptures, you have no foundation. You have something that's built upon Plato or upon Socrates as opposed to upon the Word of God. Go to chapter 5 of Isaiah verse 1. Now, let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruity hill, fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. This is going to sound like uh, uh, John chapter 15, verse 1. Yeshua says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He uses a similar analogy, doesn't he? And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard what I have not done, uh, what, that I have not done with it? Why then... When I expect it to bring forth good grapes, does it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please, let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste, it shall not be pruned or dug, and there shall come up briars and thorns. I also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. This is a prophecy against Israel's rebellion. But who's the vineyard? 
Israel is the vineyard. And what does God expect the vineyard to produce? Yeah, verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. The men of Judah are his pleasant land. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. What were they guilty of? Working their way to heaven? No, that is not what they were guilty of. That would be something to be guilty of, but that wasn't what they were guilty of. At least you could say, well, at least you tried. At least you thought of something right. No, they were guilty of idolatry. They were guilty of disobeying God. That's right. They were guilty of turning their back on God. Isaiah, written in the 7th century uh, before the Common Era, is before the Babylonian captivity. They were guilty of idolatry. Um, and God sent them into, sent them into uh, captivity in Assyria and Babylon because of it. So we see, uh, the men of Judah is his pleasant plant. The house, the vineyard is the house of Israel. So let's look at this parable now that Yeshua says in chapter, Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. The, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So who's the landowner? Well, who is the landowner in Isaiah? He planted the vineyard. God is the yeah. He's the king. He's he's the landowner. That's right. Now, when he had to greet, it, all, all of Yeshua's parables do this. By the way, the landowner is always in the vineyard. Is always is always God. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And said to them, uh, "Yes, ma'am." The vineyard here is Israel. Yes. Okay. The vineyard is Israel. And he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Okay? About the eleventh hour, excuse me, and again he went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those who were hired about the eleventh hour, they received a denarius. But when they first came, they supposed they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden in the heat of the day. But he said to them, but he answered them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this if I wish to give this last man the same as you. It is not lawful for me to do what I wish. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? Your eye evil, you guys know the evil eye is, a, is an idiom. It's a, it's a Hebrew idiom for being greedy. Okay? Uh, is your eye evil because I, because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called, but few chosen. And actually, what everybody reads, not, present company excluded, what everybody reads is the last half of verse 16 to understand everything. Many are called, but few chosen. What is that? Many are called, but few chosen. What's that implying? Huh? Oh, I like. Uh, you guys are in the American Standard. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody got an NIV? 
I'm sorry. Somebody has to have an NIV. Come on. At home. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I have a King James. Anybody else has something different? Um, I'm just going to say what it means. Okay. Well, all right. What, go ahead. Uh, it means that everybody has a chance to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, but not everybody will. And that is actually the most common, the most common reference for this whole passage is found in that one in that one sentence. Unfortunately, I don't think that's what the whole parable is about. I mean, I might agree with that statement. I'm, I, I don't disagree with the statement, but I don't know that that's what the parable is about. The parable is about self-humbling and being content with the rewards uh, that are to come. That's true, too. That's true, too. But remember, what did he just tell his disciples? He just told them. They're saying, wait, we gave up everything. And what did he say? You're going to get a hundredfold of what you gave up. You're going to sit on 12 thrones and judge all Israel. By the way, that's a pretty good wage, just if you didn't, hadn't thought about it. In fact, they gave up something. They're going to get more. He's actually showing that there's a, a balance that's out of balance. Right? You gave up a little. You're going to get a lot back. What about those workers? Those, those ones that got the job at the very end of the day. They only worked a little bit. Hey, I got a lot. I put in a little, got a lot. What about the guy that puts in a lot? He only gets the same thing. He gave them the same amount he gave the points in the beginning. But you understand the disparity. There's a disparity. Is there not? Yes, everybody has to agree. That doesn't seem fair, does it? Yes, Roseanne. Well, my first comment is the first time I read this, I agreed with him. You agreed with who? Yeah, with these grumbly workers. Absolutely. I agree with them, too. <laughs> but, but I also want to say that maybe the vineyard Israel is a whole different slant. Absolutely. Whole story. Absolutely. I'll go back to my notebook and say, wait. That's right. Isn't that interesting? How is that? Okay, well, let's just play that game a little bit. If the vineyard's Israel, who are the work, first workers that showed up? The prophets. The prophets? How how much did they give? Everything. Did anybody ever listen to them? Uh, <laughs> how big did their following get? I mean, I'm sorry, the apostles they gave their lives too, but how big did their following get? They changed the world. It's like, hey, wait, wait a minute here. That that doesn't seem quite right. What's their qualification? <laughs> What did they to get, do to get qualified to get all of that? I mean, okay, so they gave up a little bit. I mean, okay, so Peter and John kind of gave up fishing for a little while. They went right back into it afterwards. I mean, so a couple years of work, and this is what you get. You get to sit on a throne judging the, tw- the 12 tribes of Israel. Do you see? Well, I see even to the, to the last one who gets the same, being those who are going to be here to share the word of God in the end times. And, and their reward certainly is going to be worth it. Well, don't misunderstand. There are, the, there are the correlations we see about, hey, someone gets, someone comes to faith late in life. Right. Absolutely. As opposed to, or, that's sure. This, those correlations exist. But what's the context about? It's not about that context. I rejoice in this parable because my brother, um, who was angry at the Lord all of his life, and rejected it, and never had anything nice to say to him, came under attack by Satan at the end of his life. And uh, my younger brother, and it forced him into the Lord's That's life. That's right. Yeah. And 
within six months he was with the Lord. Praise God. Absolutely. He was that man who was hired at the very end of the day. That's right. Fully Lord in heaven. That understanding, taking personal application for this, like like the nice, the, you know, how many of us can have similar stories? People we know who got who came to faith late in life or whatever else. That certainly has an application. But what's the direct application? Verse 14, take what is yours and go your way. I, I wish to give to this last man the same as you. In other words, they, everybody, by the way, I just want you, everybody to know, everybody gets paid. <laughs> Here's, I'm going to tell you what a common understanding of this passage is if you will look in some of your cross references it will reference Isaiah chapter 5 there's a theology built upon this parable the theology is the replacement theology actually borrows this parable it says see Israel is the vineyard God took it away from those who had it and he gave it to you know the you know, the, the rabble, the, the Gentiles who had no right because they actually appreciated it. Man, you don't have to do a lot of <laughs> but that's exactly what they do. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, like Demetri read verse 14, that doesn't apply because everybody gets paid. It can get taken away from anybody. And okay. pay is salvation. Is that right? Hmm? Pay is Maybe not. Okay, here's the. Okay, now Roseanne, you see, everything has to be in black and white, especially if you were raised with that with that context. Everything has to be black and white, saved, unsaved. It's all about salvation or not. Well, no, actually, it's not. There's a reward for the righteous. Some will have a greater reward. Is that not true? There is punishment for the wicked. Will some receive more punishment? Yes. I've heard that, but I've heard Actually, we can build upon it. But the point is that that is consistent. That is, Judaism has always said, there's a reward for the righteous. That's why, that's why we identify with the Pharisees. They said, the righteous receive a reward, some more than others. And the wicked receive punishment, some more than others. But it all belongs to God, and he can do what he wants. That's right. That's what he said. That's verse 14, just like Demetri said. Isn't, isn't verse 16 actually just talking about verse 15? That's it? Sure. Because it's talking about those that are greedy... You know, it's just answering, 16 is just answering verse 15, and that's it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Susie. I am fine. Good. Like, nice comments, by the way. Everybody's doing good. Okay, this, this won't be good, I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so anxious. I prayed over this. Don't be anxious. I am anxious. My gut, my gut is hurting. Yeah, I had done, of course, the full day laborers were... Um, those to whom the kingdom message was first preached, meaning that's right. Israel. That's right. Um, the late in the day laborers were those to whom the kingdom message was preached or given after his earthly ministry closed or say that's right. The AD mm-hmm. to the Gentiles, and so I'm a late day laborer, and so the first was Israel, but because they did not have a repentant heart to then. The kingdom message was expanded and opened up to the Gentiles, and so then they end up. Come, Israel comes back in last. Well, now that's good. I like that. Absolutely, absolutely. That's a good application. 
But and so what my application was is, you know, make sure that I pay it. Make sure that you pay it. That's right. To what you hear because there are consequences. There are. If you don't. Did you hear what Susie said? Make, pay, make sure you pay attention. There are consequences. What Susie did was she read the parable and then she said is, what am I supposed to do about it? That's the purpose of a parable. What am I supposed to do about it? That is the only purpose for a parable. Yeshua did not give us theology. He gave us action. Yeshua, it's why people don't use Yeshua to build complex theologies. When you go to seminary, or wherever you might go, Bibles, college, or whatever else, and study systematic theology, well, first of all, you'll study a whole lot of Greek philosophy. But on top of that, you'll study Paul. Because Paul's the theologian. I disagree completely. I think Paul is not a theologian at all. Not that theologians are bad, but I don't think he is. I think Paul is extremely practical. But the problem is, they never use Yeshua to teach systematic theology. They never use his words to teach systematic theology. Instead, they use something else because they can't use his words to teach systematic theology unless they play games with parables. Because his words are always at the point of the spear, at the point of the arrow. What are you going to do about it is what he's asking. Susie, very good. But it's not wrong. No, very good. You ask the question, what should I do? Yes. I kind of agree with Roseanne when she said, you know, you drop to the end and people that only work around. Like, oh, I agree with them. <laughs> I agree with the Grimley workers. But then I thought, like, he gave them exactly what they thought. That's right. They contracted. That's right. In modern terms, with That's right. to work for the day, for the night. This is a fair wage. Fair. Probably agree. That's right. That's exactly right. Yes. Ah, now we're going to get... That's right. Chosen and called. This is where two camps of Protestant Christianity have camped. We have Arminian, who like... Mm-hmm. who like to say no one's chosen and then we have Calvin who's to say oh yes only a few are chosen and boy a whole lot of people uh, weren't chosen mm-hmm. let's go let's go into that it's just gonna happen that's right <laughs> alright listen let's go over these points of comparison real quick the landowner yes he's the king he's God the full day laborers those who live their entire life of faithfulness late day laborers are those who repent late in life yes absolutely the wages are the reward in the world to come. Not the world to come. Everybody gets paid. Okay? Not that everybody ends up in the world to come. But everybody in this parable gets paid, don't they? Does the denarius uh, represent the uh, cost of the redemption of a man, which is the same whether you're rich or poor? Sure. Denarius is a That's exactly right. Excellent point. She's saying, hey, isn't that like the temple, the temple tax? It's not a direct correlation, but yes, it's like the temple tax. Who got to pay it? Everybody paid the same. Rich people, poor people paid the same. Every head paid the tax. That's right. Very good. Excellent. Excellent point. You've been you've been studying you've been studying Hebrew scriptures. Uh, <laughs> here's the single point: those who repent, even late in life, will receive a ward in the world to come, just like those who had lived lifelong righteous. But here's this point of this parable as well. In context. In context, he's talking to the disciples. We all can get something from this. But I'm not one of the twelve. What can I get from it? Susie said, what do I do because of it? Here's, here's the context for the twelve. 
The full day laborers, those are the sages and the prophets of old. The late day laborers, they're the twelve apostles. That's the context, isn't it? That's exactly, he's talking about them. Who though they were unlearned, right? Wineskins. New wineskins. Why is he talking about the apostles? Because they asked the question, what do we get? And he's saying, you're the twelve. Unlearned have personally labored with the master. What's, what's their award? Everybody gets the same award, but it's priority of seating. Remember, don't go in and say, hey, hey, I get the head of the table. No, 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 that's reserved for the twelve. Is that something? Though they had no credentials to get there, though they gave up only a small amount in comparison, because of the grace and because they were chosen by the master to sit there, they got to sit at the head of the table and will get to sit at the head of the table. Does that seem fair? Absolutely, because he's the master. The king can do what he wants. Right? Why did those 12? That's why everybody says they're no different than us. Actually, you're right. In some cases, maybe they're worse. Than some of us, sure. But they're the 12. They didn't earn it. They just got chosen for it. Now, let's look at this called and chosen, because that's the context. Matthew's 2016 is a repeat from 1930. The two first and last tells us there's something about being called and chosen that's supposed to give us this correlation. Okay? The problem is, what do we do in theology is we go called and chosen. Chosen's better. Few are chosen. Called's worse. Many are called. <laughs> I mean, just think about it. I'm sorry, if you're called by the king of the universe, there's nothing bad in that. You aren't. There's nothing bad in being called by the king of the universe. Does anybody not respond to the call of the king of the universe? What is the word call? In, in Greek, it's uh, kletos. It's from the same group, root as ekklesia. Ecclesia is what? Called out assembly. Translated in the English Bible as church, at least in the, in the apostolic scriptures. When they find it in the Greek version of the Hebrew scriptures, they translate it congregation. They wouldn't say church there. Except in Acts chapter 7, they say the church in the wilderness. <laughs> what is that congregation? It's all, 100% of his people. If you're called, if you're ecclesia, you're his. Period. You're his. Uh, Romans 1 1. Romans 1 6 7 and chapter 8, verse 28. It's not a verb, it's a description of someone. That is what it is to be called. Called. Uh, go to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. While we're going there, somebody said, ask me a question. Chris, yes, I, ma'am. I, I have to add theology then because I thought the Lord called everyone, but only. Uh, I'm not. No, I'm not responding to that, and that's actually that's that's what we talked about before. I'm not saying that's not true. I'm just saying that's not what's being discussed in this parable. There is no parable. That's right. Called and chosen in this parable are not being given as contrast. Okay. Many are called, not the word but. Many are called, and few are chosen. Everybody gets paid in the parable. Everybody gets paid. Some get worked longer and got paid a denarius. Some worked shorter and got paid a denarius. Everybody gets paid. Called and chosen. It's talking about people that are not on opposite sides of the fence. 
That's the theological answer that doesn't fit the parable. That's right. That's right. Called and chosen. Which way are you, are you translating that Greek word correctly? That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. We're being given a theological... Guys, all they're doing is the theologians are looking for an excuse. And they find that verse, at least if they're reading from that version of the Greek text, they find that verse and go, see, here's another one right here. <laughs> and they don't put it in the context of the whole parable. The whole parable, everybody is in the world to come. All the people, not everybody, all the people in the parable are in the world to come. They get to the end of the day and they're paid their wages. And they're all good wages. Right? They worked in the vineyard. They're part of Israel. Right? The parable is not about those who go to heaven and those who don't. It's not about those who heard the gospel and didn't respond to it. No. Those would be people who didn't go to work in the vineyard. Right. They got no wages. And they're also talking about the kind of rewards. It is talking about the the absolutely the reward is not equal to the pain to the work that's done. That's the point. The reward is not equal to the work that's done. There is a greater reward, but it's not equal to the work that's done. That's his whole point, right? Go to Romans chapter eight, verse twenty-eight. Uh, you guys have probably done this too. You've probably heard this. <laughs> and we know that all things work together for, for good for those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. If your Bible doesn't have the word the there, it's wrong. It is the called. It's a, it's a noun. The called according to His purpose. What is it to be called? To have a purpose. That's right. That's it. You have a purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, those he also called. Whom he called, those he also justified. Whom he justified, he also glorified. This is not a progression of salvation. And if you do that, that's fine, go ahead. But let me just ensure that you understand, everybody who's called is glorified. Everybody who's called is glorified. Everyone who's predestined is called. You're using the wrong word there if you're playing a theological game. Called means you have a purpose. And you act according to the purpose. It doesn't mean that it fell on deaf ears. You see, that's, a, that's not the Hebrew way of understanding Shema, is it? To hear Shema is to heed. You hear and respond. That's the key. To be called is not falling on deaf ears. I'm going to tell you something. No one is called that does not receive the reward. No one is called that does not receive the reward. I'm not saying that people don't hear the gospel and not respond. But they're not called. They're not responding is the point. To be called is to respond. You hear it. And you act upon it. He's the king. I gave you lots of scripture references. If you didn't do your homework, go back and read these scripture references. Because you need to understand, the Bible is not unclear on this point. Unless you're reading from Calvin's Institutes first. (laughs) Or Jacob Arminius first. Two sides of the same coin. Uh, Neither of them, and both of them, were right. 
The problem is that in the Greek mindset, you can't have two opposing statements to be true. And yet, if you're a Hebrew, it's easy. <laughs> I'm sorry, it just is. Why? Because that's just thinking. What do I have to do about it? Right? Action is what the point is. It's always what the point is. So I can't have two opposing statements. Fine, just do one of them then. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> Go to First uh, Peter chapter one. We have to finish up here pretty quickly. I think that is that clock is wrong. It's 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 cheap. It's just not moving. I'm saying something's wrong. I got extra time here. This that's not right. First Peter, First Peter, chapter one. I can promise you, Peter was not giving us Greek philosophy when he gives us these words, and he's not giving us theology as it's, as it, as it's often uh, seen. First Peter, chapter one, verse two. Speaking of those who he's named in the diaspora, elect, chosen, some Bibles will say chosen there in English, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Yeshua the Messiah. Chosen is, is it's, it's, there's no contrast in chapter 2 of, of uh, 1 Peter as well. Go to 1 Peter chapter 8 verse 9. Lost my place, sorry. First Peter. Okay, it's First Peter. Yeah. It's actually what we read at the very beginning. That's verse nine. Thank you. First Peter nine. Thank you. Two. Two nine. Somebody tell me where we're going. First Peter. Two. Two nine. There you go. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. What's the purpose? Why? Why are you a chosen nation? Why are you a chosen generation, rather, a royal priesthood, a holy nation? Why are you his own special possession? That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You have a purpose. Isn't that something? You have a purpose. Your purpose is not written by Bruce Wilkerson or... Who's the guy that wrote The Purpose Living Driven Life? Or Rick Warren. Your purpose is not given to you by other people. Your purpose has been given to you by the king of the universe. And it's very simple. It's very simple. Who were once not a people, but are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Verse 12. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. It's very simple. <laughs> you know, it's very simple, in fact. And, and this is the thing that's, that's constantly... Uh, being attacked on all sides by the righteous and by the unrighteous. Well, no, don't don't do things. Just let go and let God. And nothing could be further from the truth. He's called you to act upon your calling. He wants you to act exactly like He envisions you. He's chosen you. And He's chosen you because he, he wants you to be 
his representation. You know, he wants you to exhibit his righteousness in the world around you. In little ways is all it takes. In little ways. It doesn't have to be grand. You don't have to stand up and speak before thousands. All you have to do is act. Even if the people that are around you don't notice it, it still means something. You're revealing his righteousness. So when you say hello to someone who's just been rude to you, a little bit of kindness means something. It always means something. It never is void. It's always valuable. And that's, he's speaking clearly about this. Now, obviously, that's not what the parable is about. But the point is, every little bit of labor counts. Every little bit of labor reveals, gets the work done. Right? It gets the work done. Uh, let's real quickly, then we've got to close. Uh, I know we spent a whole lot of time on the first half of this chapter. There's a whole lot more to this chapter 20 that we didn't cover. But the last part of the chapter, his disciples say, Enough already. Tell us what's really going to happen. And he tells them, We're going go to we're gonna go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be lifted up. Uh, I'm going to be turned over to the Gentiles. And then they don't believe it. <laughs> it's like, No, 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 really, what do you mean? <laughs> They're, they're blinded. Here's the key. And we're we are all in the same boat. They're blinded by their own expectations of what Messiah was going to be. This is something that's very hard for us to understand today. We look back and go, well, it's obvious. You know, it wasn't obvious. They had a preconception. If you read the prophets, it's very difficult to see Yeshua's mission, mission as valid. I'm sorry, it is. The anti-missionaries have something to say. They, they're right in that regard. It's very difficult. It's, I'd say it's almost impossible. But... With man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. If you look at the prophets, it looks like he's supposed to come in as a king, Mm -hmm. as a warrior, and defeat the enemies. Mm -hmm. And he will. And that's the message we can't stop preaching. He will. He will. Okay, so you don't believe it today, but wait. When you see it, you're going to have to admit. When you see it, then you're going to have to act. Act now, but if you can't, wait and see it. And then act. is that a valid witness to our unbelieving... It may not be the complete witness, but it is a valid witness. We need to do more than just that. Let's, let's close in prayer. Father, we do thank you that you have called us. We thank you that you have chosen us. Lord, I thank you that you have given us a purpose. And the purpose is simply to live lives that reflect your character. Lord, I know that oftentimes I am not faithful in doing all of the things uh, that you have asked me to do. The Father, what I am thankful for is that when I have acted obediently, you have received glory. And I thank you and ask for more of those opportunities. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen.